going to read the scriptures. Praise the Lord. And now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe were created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whosoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured a seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing uh, to be together as a church family. It's a blessing now to come to your word. God, we're thankful for our kids. We're thankful for uh, all the families that they represent. And we're thankful for their commitment to study your word. I'm thankful for all of our adults that are gathered in here now and students uh, with the chance to look now uh, to what your word calls us to. God, we confess that many times looking into your word, we're humbled because we know we can't measure up. And yet, God, we know that's exactly where you want us to be, humble before you. So God, may our hearts be humbled in a way that we can hear from you the day that you would speak and that you would move in our, in our hearts and that we would draw close to you. In Christ's name, I ask all these things. Amen. So my very first sermon here at Infinity Church was in April of 2019. And that day I preached uh, Hebrews 11, 1 to 6. And so uh, I knew that I would come to this spot where it's a, a part of a repeat. 
But, uh, and I know you all remember that sermon exactly verbatim uh, from uh, a little over two and a half years ago. Uh, so I, this is a different sermon, but the, the way I started that one is, uh, is too good. for I, I, just, I like this story so much, so it is, it is a repeat uh, as we jump into Hebrews chapter 11, this famous, famous passage today. There was a, a young boy, a young Chinese boy, who uh, was honored to get a job as an apprentice to a master jade worker. Uh, this worker was really known around the community for making incredible jewelry out of jade. And so this young boy who got this apprenticeship was excited for his first day that he got to know this apprentice and work with him. So he shows up uh, eager and excited, and the master puts a, a real small piece of jade, a, kind of like a pebble, and, and gives it to him, and the boy takes it. And then they start talking about all kinds of things other than jade. They talk all day long, it seems, and the boy has the piece of jade in his hand, but they're talking about family and weather and ever, all kinds of other things, but never about jade. So at the end of the day, the boy gives the piece of jade back, and he goes home, and he's like, well, that was weird. It was, maybe it was just the first day, and he just wanted to get to know me. The problem is, the second day, the same thing happened. He shows up to work. The master puts a piece of jade in his hand, and they talk about everything except for jade. And all day, he just has this piece of jade in his hand, and he's confused. Why in the world is he not talking about jade? This goes on for weeks. And the, the, the young man doesn't, doesn't want to offend him. He's been grown up, known to respect his elders. And so he's trying not to say anything, not going to say anything. But one day he gets home. He's just like, I got it tomorrow. I just, I have to say something. This is just too much. I took this apprenticeship so I would be a master jade worker like he is. And I have not learned a single thing about jade. So the next day he gets to work. Sure enough, same thing happens. The master puts a, a rock in his hand. He puts it in his hand. And the boy uh, begins to tell him all this on his mind. And he goes to open his mouth, and then he stops and he goes, this isn't jade. And the master said, perfect, now you're ready. <laughs> now you're ready. Sometimes in life, we comprehend things and understand things if they have a good definition, if they, we, can, we can outline and explain how it works. And, and sometimes if we, if we understand all the, compart, the, the parts of it and all the components to it, we, we understand it. And sometimes in life, the best way to get to know something is for it just to live in your hand for a while, to get a, to get a feel for it, to, to touch it and just hold on to it. And, and even if you can't explain every part of it, you, you know it when you see it and you become familiar with it. Many times uh, we talk about faith and it is like that. We can give a definition. There's outlines and I can give you all kinds of things and we're going to do that in a minute. But, but sometimes faith is a little bit like that piece of jade. You kind of have to live with it in your hand for a little while. You kind of got to hold on to it to be able to recognize it for what it is and, and, and live with it for a while. If, you, if you're new to faith, then, then maybe you've got some questions and you could articulate certain things about faith, but you're unsure. But maybe if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you, you can't give the outline, the definition, but you know it when you see it. You know what I mean? And faith is a little bit like that. Hebrews chapter 11 starts with a very important definition of faith. We'll see in a minute. But then it walks through a list, I forgot to count again, it's over a dozen, maybe 17 or 18 people that are all examples of faith. And in each case, they're a little bit different and exactly how that express that faith and what we learn about their faith. But essentially what Hebrews 11 does is it takes a piece of jade or 17 or 18 different pieces of jade and puts them all in your hands so that by the end of this chapter, if you've, if you've kind of lived in this for a little while, you get to the end and you go, okay, whether or not I can tell you exactly what faith is, I know what it looks like. I know what it looks like. And here's why that's important. We pray for and we ask God that He would give us faith. We, it's a gift from God. It's not something we can create on our own. It has to come from God. And so when we're looking for it, we're anticipating it, we're waiting on it, 
we got to know it when we see it. And we want to encourage faith in other people, and so we got to know true and genuine faith when we see it. And Hebrews 11, of all the places in the Bible, is an, a tremendous place for us to understand what, Hebrews, what, what faith is in the book of Hebrews. Now, the benefit of studying through the book of the Bible, through a book of the Bible like this, through, through Hebrews, is that we see why this chapter comes where it is. At the end of chapter 10, this writer is encouraging this group of people who is facing persecution. And they're not just facing persecution for the first time. This has been going on for a long time, probably for decades. And he reminds them that early on in their walk with the Lord, they were excited. They were eager as they faced the persecution. He says they, you, you loved people who were in prison. You cared for those. You even had joy when people plundered your property. You counted it an honor to suffer for him. But now you've been, you've been out this for a little while. And the people are starting to think, you know, this was fun when we started. But this persecution thing, 20 years in, 30 years in, it's getting old. And they're getting tired. And they're getting beat down. And he's calling them to perseverance, to steadfastness, and to faith. To faith. He reminds them of a, of a quote from Habakkuk, that the righteous live by faith. And the opposite of that is shrinking back. He's saying what you need is to know what faith is. And so what he does is he goes back all the way through the Old Testament, pulling out all these examples of faith to help encourage them that they too can keep the faith. I wonder if you've ever been to kind of a place where these people were that were receiving this letter that, hey, you were okay facing the hardship at first, and you were even excited and eager to continue in the faith in the middle of the hardship. But then the hardship kept going. And it lasted longer than you thought it would. And you had signed up for a little while of this. And you knew that there was a certain amount of time that you were going to be doing this. And you were okay with that. But it got prolonged. And you're beginning to get weary. You're getting beat down. And you need to hear this call today. That the righteous, God's people, they live by faith. Not by sight, but by faith. If you're at the end of your rope saying, I, I don't know if I can keep going. I, I don't know if, if I have enough strength to keep going. Then you're in a perfect spot. That's exactly where you need to be, to rely on God. And many times that's why God brings us to those places, isn't it? So that we can have faith to rely on God. Hebrews 11 gives us uh, so many dimensions of this. This really is worth a whole sermon series on itself, by itself. And we could come back and do that at some point. But really, I just want to pick out a, a few themes for you through this chapter so that you kind of get a feel for this. And then I encourage you to spend more time in it by, on your own. But we do need to see this definition, definition that we start out with in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we'll see this again at the end as we come back. But faith is, is reliance. It's trust. It's belief in God. Even though the eyes that we have on our face can't see God. At its core, that's what faith is. It's trusting, relying on, believing in God and seeing Him with the eyes of our hearts, but not seeing Him with our eyes. We know and we can see the truth of who God is as we search the Scriptures. We can see His character. We can see what He's done and we can rely on Him and we trust that He's in control. So even though our eyes can't see Him, we trust Him and we know that He is with us. So my prayer this morning is that whether you have a little faith in God or a lot of faith in God or struggling faith in God or new faith in God or no faith in God, that as we look at these examples of faith, that your faith 
would be encouraged, that you would be pushed a little bit further down the road of faith, not because of your effort, because of the power of the Word of God to draw out and create and move in your hearts to create faith. So I want to show you a few themes about faith and then one, uh, one main idea at the end. And I think that main idea accidentally got left out of your, your bulletin. But here's, here's the first theme you'll see uh, from Hebrews 11. By faith, we meet God's approval. By faith, we meet God's approval. Notice this word that shows up a few times. The first place is in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 2. It says, For by it, talking about faith, the people of old received their commendation. So ESV, NIV use the word commendation. The King James uses good report. The New Living Translation says good reputation. But the NRSV and the, the Holman Christian use a, a word that maybe is a little more familiar to us, approval. You may not go around using the word commendation, but you probably use the word approval. And we understand what that means. This is, this is pretty amazing that people in the Old Testament, even though they had not met Christ, they didn't know Jesus, People always ask, you know, that's one of those Bible questions. How are the people in the Old Testament saved? Well, right here, the same way we are, by faith. They believed God. They believed in God, and that is how they were saved. The word for for commendation or or approval means means that you you get the thumbs up, like you're you're approved of by God. He he is for you. He's for you. That's what approval means. So what, what makes us, what makes God look at us and say, I approve of you? Yes. Yes, you're, you're mine. I, I approve of you. Is it, is it hard work? Is it, is it keeping all the commandments of the Old Testament and New Testament? Can you, if you keep all of them, is that how you get approval? Is it about doing enough good things to outweigh your bad things? Is that how you get God's, God's thumbs up of approval? That, hey, you, it, you, yeah, you did some bad things, but you did more good things. And so it, No. No, God, the Bible, all the way through Old Testament, if we see Hebrews 11 tells us today, all the way through the New Testament, the way we meet God's approval is by faith and by faith alone. We trust in Him. We rely on Him, not in ourselves. We love Him, and that is why He loves us. Or the other way around. He loves us first, and we love Him in return. Faith is not fundamentally something we do. It, it, it does lead to action, as we'll see. But faith is about relying, believing on Him. And by that alone, we meet God's approval. And one of the first examples we get here is, by, uh, is about a man named Enoch. And Enoch only has a very short, short uh, description of his life. And it shows up, of all places, in the middle of a genealogy. If you ever read through Genesis, you may be tempted to kind of skip over this list of like, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. But don't miss Genesis chapter 5 because you'll miss one of the great heroes of the faith named Enoch. I'll read you his entire life story. Ready? It's like three verses. Enoch uh, is in Genesis 5, 21, starting in verse 21. It says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's his whole life story. And he makes it into what many call the, the, the Faith Hall of Fame the hall of faith here in Hebrews 11. Why, why was Enoch so special? He, he pleased God, as Hebrews 11 says, uh, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he, had commended, he, he was commended as having pleased God. He pleased God. God approved of him so much that Enoch, being one of the only two people recorded in the Old Testament, who didn't have to face death, Enoch and Elijah, he walked so closely with God 
It's like they were just walking one day and God was like, you know what, just, just stay with me. Come on. We'll just, we'll just stay hanging out together forever. He was that close with God. Now, was it because Enoch had, had conquered cities and, and, and was the most incredible you know, farmer or the wisest man of the earth? No, it just says he walked with God twice. When we get three verses in Genesis 5, twice Enoch is described as walking with God. He had a relationship with God. That's faith. You know him. You love him. You, you want to be with him. That's faith. That's one example. That's one jade pebble in your hand to understand what faith is like. Enoch trusted God. He walked with God. He believed in him. And God approved of Enoch. Well, wait, hold on. We skipped over Abel. What, what about Abel? As we read that, didn't Abel have to do something to be approved by God? Doesn't it say something about a sacrifice? Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So there's that word commended. And again, God commended him by accepting his gifts. Was it the sacrifice that made God approve of him? Did he do something to achieve a sacrifice, to, to achieve God's approval? Well, the word we've seen here, it's 28 times in, the, in, the, in Hebrews 11. I did count that one. The word here is by faith. And just because we use it a lot doesn't mean you should skip over it here. It's by faith this offering was offered. So it's not the work, it's the faith. Now, some interpreters will look at Cain and Abel and they'll say, hey, the thing that distinguished this, and this is common and, and it may be true, but many people will look at that and say, hey, Abel killed an animal, whereas Cain only offered grain. And so what makes Cain's sacrifice acceptable is that he, he shed blood. And that's possible. And Hebrews 11 says a lot about blood. I mean, Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews says a lot about blood. But that isn't actually said in the passage. I think we're safer to stick with what it says, that what distinguished Cain and Abel's sacrifice is that Abel had faith and Cain didn't. That is, in his heart, in their hearts, Cain and Abel were different in that they, one of them loved God, they believed in him, they trusted, and the other didn't. And we know that Cain didn't because as soon as God is disapproved with him, he goes and he kills his brother. It's always about the heart in the Bible. It's always about trust. It's always about love. And we see that difference between the two of them. The faithless heart in Cain was what made him unacceptable to God, whereas Abel had true and genuine faith. And verse 4 says he was commended as righteous. God looked at him and said, I approve of you. You, you are mine. You're one of my children. And you'll be a testimony of faith for as long as, until Christ returns, forever. He's going to be a testimony of faith. And now that phrase, commended as righteous, is worth pausing on for just a moment. And I have to, to, have to acknowledge this. I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to plan this out, but I love that we land on Hebrews 11 today because of the holiday. Do you know what today is? It's, it's Reformation Day. It's Reformation Day. It's not just Halloween. Yes, it's Halloween. But today is Reformation Day. And that's why Alex is here. He wants to celebrate Reformation Day with us. No, uh, it, this, I didn't plan this out, but it's really cool that we're talking about this, uh, about faith on Reformation Day. So Reformation Day is a, a really important anniversary from over 500 years ago in the church. Maybe you've heard of the Protestant Reformation that took place in Europe and has changed the world ever since. Uh, and the unofficial start of the Protestant Reformation came on a day when a, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther took 95 very strong recommendations uh, about how the church should change or reform. 
And he was so passionate about these recommendations that he took them and he nailed them to the door uh, uh, of the, the, the chapel, the sanctuary in a town called Wittenberg. So on that, that was what he did with his statements. Can you guess what day he did that? <laughs> he did it on October 31st, 1517. So 204 years ago today. And so today in the church is the day that Protestant Christians all around the world celebrate as Reformation Day. And the, one of the main tenets of the Protestant Reformation, one of the main things that they had to make clear that the church had gotten away from is that we are not saved by works, but by faith and by faith alone. So uh, one, of the, one, of the main, uh, one of the times that the church was getting together, they asked Martin Luther to write out uh, a list of his beliefs. And so uh, I want to read you this quote. This was the, the first and chief uh, description. He did put it up there just in case it was wordy. Jesus Christ, so this is our foundational belief. Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, died for our sins and was raised again for our justification. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And God has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. All have sinned and are justified freely without their own works and merits. By His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, in His blood, this is necessary to believe. This cannot be otherwise acquired or grasped by any work or law or merit. Therefore, it is clear and certain that, this, that faith alone justifies us. There's, there's the, 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 the central doctrine of the Protestant Reformation that we celebrate today. We are commended as righteous, approved by God, not by works, but by faith. And Hebrews 11 points that out to you because you know what you can see? You can see works. You can see works. If you serve in our nursery, thank you, thank you. And we can see that, and that's a good thing. If you love on people and you, you do good things and you have lots of good deeds, we can see that. But the Bible tells us it's possible to do things visible and yet in our hearts be far from Him. What saves us is not the things that we do with our hands, it's our hearts. It's what God has done in our hearts. That we are saved by faith. Though it is invisible, that is how we are saved. When that, that, what I just read from, from Martin Luther, is that, is that a summary of your beliefs? Do you believe those things? Have you put your trust in God? Do you believe in God for your salvation? Or are you relying on your own works, your own efforts to find salvation? Have you seen God's goodness and His grace and His mercy? Have you seen His power and his love, has your heart been so stirred that you realize that he is greater than anything else in this world? If so, do you believe it? Do you trust in him? Do you lean on him over leaning on yourself? That alone is how we are saved. If you don't believe those things, then you are not saved. But you can be by faith and by faith alone. If you put your faith, your trust in God, then you, you are saved. You are met with God's approval. He sees you as his child, not because of your works, but because of your faith. Well, maybe Martin Luther was a little too old of a theologian for you, and you want a little more modern example of this. Uh, I'll give you a little more modern theologian. Her name is Lauren Daigle, and she sings a song called You Say that's all about being good enough, being commended, being approved. It goes like this. I'm going to read it. Of course, you can hear it in your head. If I sang it, it'd be terrible. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. You hear that? Enough. Approved. I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. 
You say I'm loved when I, when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And I work really, really hard to make sure that that's true. I, I, I try my best to not let others down. I, I, I get my act together so that the things you just said about me will be true. No, that's not the lyric. When I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours, and I believe. I believe. What you say of me, I believe. Our approval, our, our, our status before God does not come by works, but only by faith. And we have a hard time accepting that, don't we? We, we say it, and it, it, we, want, we want to be saved by faith, and if you're a Christian, you've heard that, you know that, but, but we live like I've got to earn my spot before God today. If I get to the end of the day and I haven't checked everything off my list, I can feel sometimes so defeated and crushed, like I'm not measuring up. And it is hard for me to hear that, that I'm approved, I'm accepted, I'm in God's family, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has accomplished for me. We have to fight the temptation to believe we're not enough, that we're really saved, truly saved, only by faith. If you have a hard time believing that, I wonder if, you, I wonder if this will be good news for you today. Romans 8.31, what shall I say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe God is for you? If you, if you, are, if you are not a Christian, He's not. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, God is for you. He is on your side. He is cheering for you, rooting you on to love and good deeds, like we saw last week, and to following His kingdom, to being in His presence. He is, he is helping you. He is for you. By faith alone, we meet God's approval. After we get Abel's rock in our hand and Enoch's rock in our hand, one of the other unlikely heroes that we meet is a man named Abraham. And his story starts back in Genesis 11 and especially in Genesis 12 when God calls him and puts a pretty difficult call on his life to leave everything. But he goes and he says that he's going to send him to a different land and he gets to this land of the Canaanites, a land that was occupied, a land that didn't belong to him. And God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring, I'll give you this land. So there's a promise that one day offspring of Abraham would inherit all the land he was in. But that day wasn't yet. So he didn't own it. So in verse 8, it says in, in Genesis 12, he pitched a tent. A tent? He just left everything he had, comes out to another land, and he sets up a tent, a temporary structure. Why would he, why would he do that? Well, he didn't own the land. At any point, he would have to get up and move. And plus, he was a, kind of a semi-nomad. He was taking care of animals and things. And so he could not put down permanent roots where he was. And Hebrews 11 calls that faith. What? What? Why is setting up a tent faith? Here's why. Hebrews 11:9. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, and then verse 10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here's what was going on in Abraham's life. A man that had been called by God, approved by God. Abraham knew that God was putting a promise before him that he might never see, and he didn't. But God had promised him a better home. And that is the same promise you and I have by faith. By faith, we have a better home. God had promised Abraham that one day his descendants that are currently living in a foreign land 
would have a better place to live. And Abraham believed that. He spent his entire life living in a tent, moving around from place to place as God directed and other things changed. But he knew that one day he wouldn't have to live hidden out in the remote parts of, of, of the country. One day he would live in a city. And in that city, he wouldn't live in a, a structure that, that was just set on top of the ground. He would live in a place that had deep foundations, things that could not be shaken by the world. He was going to live in a place that was so beautiful, so amazing, because it's designer and it's builder, it's architect, and the guy actually constructing it were God, God himself. For Abraham and his descendants, that fulfillment, yes, was in part through the promised land through Joshua, that we saw is at the beginning of the book of Joshua, but it's pointing forward to a better home. Verse 13 talks about how Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, none of them received the promise that they, during their time on earth. And verse 14 says they were seeking a, a homeland, seeking a homeland. And verse 16 says a better country. Now, I've mentioned before that, that Hebrews really likes this word better, right? We've seen it over and over again. And here it is, a better country, a better home, a better place to live. If you have faith in Christ, you should know you've, you've got a better home that's coming, a better home that's coming. I, I wonder if that's good news to you today or if you're content right where you are. Some of you have really nice homes, and it's probably very, I, I love my home. I, I love, love where I live. I'm very, very grateful for that. And sometimes in, in our world, if you're, if you're doing okay, it can, be, it can be hard to be looking forward to what's to come. We can get complacent. But for many of us, if you've gone through the ups and downs of life and the brokenness of this world, this is good news, that there is something better that's to come. And it's not just about the four walls of a place you live. It's about a much a better home. We are truly home with our Heavenly Father. We can praise God that one day this be, in this better home, all the brokenness of the world, all the, the hardships and struggles and grief and sorrow and pain, all of it is going to be taken away. We're going to live in a place that there is no more crying or weeping or tears or pain or sorrow. All of it will be made new. I wonder if you live anticipating that home or if you live like this where you are right now is your final home. Now, to be clear, it is our temporary home. We're supposed to take care of where we live. We're supposed to, we have responsibilities on this earth. We don't just burn it all. But we have a better home that's coming. And I wonder if you live like that. Do you live like your kingdom, your world, your, what matters to you, your priorities are the end-all, be-all, or do you live for the kingdom of God? Do you see people not just as, as objects that are affecting your life one another, but as eternal souls? Do you see the people around you for, as God sees them? Do you live for His kingdom, seeking what He wants in our world? Or do you live for, our own, for, for the, the, your little world? What do you, what, how do you relate to your stuff, to the things that you have? Do you see that as permanent? Do you see this as what really matters? Do you live your life chasing after a little more money, a little more stuff, a few more things? Or do you live knowing that these are all passing away? You know what happens to the guy who dies with the most toys? He still dies. <laughs> and he can't take anything with him. Can't take anything with him. It is foolish to spend our life chasing material stuff in this world. It's, not, it's beyond foolish. It's faithless to spend our life chasing the things of this world. Don't chase the stuff of the world. We are made for a better home. And the good news is, hey, if you've been working through life and you just don't have a lot of stuff, it, it's okay. It's okay because this life is just a short amount of time. And we will be with God in a city that is designed and built by God 
with firm foundations. This is not the end. We can live like there's something better to come because there is. One of Amber's brothers, Noah, and his wife, Darby, they bought a home in Columbia. They closed over the summer, probably early June, and they had been living in a, a rental. And so there was a couple month overlap, maybe six weeks or so overlap. And, uh, and in that process, they started some renovations. And I helped out on the early end of this. And as we were taking things down, I was thinking, this is going to take a, a long time to put back, you know, in the way you want it, because they went all out. And uh, they are still in that process. So currently, uh, Noah and Darby, thankfully, you know, it's just the two of them, no kids uh, for now, that they've got all their stuff is in the garage, except for a bedroom suit that is in one, one upstairs bedroom. They have lived for months now in a construction zone. Like there are saws and nail guns and sharp pointy objects all around. It terrifies me like walking in there, you know, but they have just stuff everywhere. They have lived for months and months in a construction project. But as it's come together, I've said, man, this, this is going to be a beautiful home. When it's all done, when it's all done, it's going to be worth it. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of a parallel of our lives. All of our time on this earth is living in a construction zone. And there can be sharp objects and nail guns and all kinds of things that you don't want to bump into and hardships and struggle. And you're just like, I'm just so tired of living in a construction zone. But I can guarantee you that if you're living by faith, there's a better home that's to come. And it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. If you're living by faith and you have the patience, you have the endurance because of the one who has made the promise to us that he is faithful and he's building us a better home. That's what Moses knew and that's why he was willing to go through all that he went through. We read in verse 24 that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had been adopted into that family. In verse 25 it says he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He would rather suffer now knowing what's to come. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, uh, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. He was looking forward to what was to come. He knew that suffering now and reward later is way better than a little bit of reward now and eternal suffering. That only happens by faith. People with only eyes on this world can't see that. They do not see that as, a, as, a, as a, a worthwhile trade because they can't see what's to come. If we can live with eyes of faith, we see that what we go through now is just temporary in a construction zone and there's a better home to come. We live not chasing the sinful, fleeting pleasures of this world because it's not worth it. It is not worth it and there's a better home to come. And if we know that's what's to come, it impacts not just where we're looking, but what we do right now. By faith, we can live radically obedient. We can be radically obedient. If we trust God, it will impact us now. Martin Luther, uh, just to continue in the celebration of Reformation Day, uh, he said, it is impossible that faith should ever stop doing good. So the same guy who said, we're only saved by faith. He said, it's impossible that faith should ever stop doing good. Faith doesn't ask whether good works are to be done, but before it's even asked, it's already done it. <laughs> faith just naturally overflows into good works. And that's what we see reading the book of Hebrews in ways that just don't make sense, right? You read, Noah makes this list in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 7. And we're reminded of that story, building the ark, and just how crazy that would have looked to everybody around him. They didn't even know what a flood was, much less why they would need a boat. And yet, and so to the world, that makes no sense. If you don't have eyes of faith, building a boat in the desert makes zero sense. But if you truly believe, 
that God is who He says He is and He has said a flood is coming, then building a boat makes complete sense, right? It's all about what eyes you're looking through. It totally makes sense. Everybody got it in the end that Noah had the right eyes. He had the right idea. But to many, it didn't make sense. And that's what faith so often looks like. We see that over and over again in this chapter. Sarah, who believed, even though she was 90, was going to have a baby. We look back, it says, we, we get to make this list, verse 3. We, uh, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. It's something you can't see with your eyes. You, you only can believe. God has graciously been at work in our world in such a way that we look and say, he, he is who He says He is. He has done the things He's done. And so we live radically. We live differently because of our faith. We already mentioned verse 8 where, where Abraham, it's, when God called Abraham, he didn't tell him where he was going to. He just told him where he was to leave. He said, leave home and go, and I'll show you where to go. That, that only works by faith. And, and Abraham was not just a single guy with just a backpack. He had a bunch of, bunch of livestock. It would have been a major, major hardship to pick up and leave, and yet he did. I want to ask you, if, you, if, if a non-believer looks at your faith, <clears throat> looks at your life, does your life make complete sense to them? Does your life make sense to a non-believer? And there's going to be some things that make sense. By common grace, God has made a lot of things that make sense. Like you should have a job. And unbelievers will say, yep, you should have a job. Provide for your family, maybe a house, maybe transportation. There's common graces. But, but on the whole, if they looked at everything in your life, if an unbeliever can look at your life and say, I, I see, that makes total sense to me why you would be living that way. Then, then I wonder if we're living by faith. I wonder if we're living by faith. If we are living radically, then our life isn't going to make sense. Faith following God is going to make no sense to the world that doesn't have eyes of faith. We're called to radical obedience. And if that's who we are, if that's who the kind of people we live, then it shows up in all areas of life. So this is the, the, the main point I wanted to put at your bottom of your outline to live by faith in God. Live by faith in God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What's seen in this world is getting approval from things around us, right? But what's unseen in this world is getting approval from God and God alone. By faith, we meet God's approval. What's seen is making a home here, spending all our life making a home to make this life better. What's unseen is living for the better home that's still to come. That's unseen, but it's what God calls us to do. What's seen is to live in a way that makes sense only according to this world and only obeying the commandments of God when, it, when it's convenient for us. But what's unseen is living radically obedient. That's true faith in God. And what's most important is you go through this chapter line by line, all these acts that the people have done. When you get to the end of this chapter, you're not supposed to say Noah is great, Moses is great, Abraham is great. You're supposed to get into this chapter and go, God is great. God is great. When we see God working in and through people, we recognize not how great people are, but how great God is. Amen. The single most important thing about your faith is not how strong it is, but it's who your faith is in. I'll end with one more illustration I used back in April of 2019, so you may not remember this. But uh, one of the greatest ways I've come to understand faith, uh, the, to understand the object of our faith, came from this picture I saw in seminary of, of uh, listening to a magazine, two people who were out on frozen ice. On the left-hand side, there was a man who had, you could see he's standing out in the middle of the ice. <clears throat> he had walked in the snow, and he walked right past a sign that said, this ice 
has been tested by the authorities, and it is safe for ice hockey, for skating, for playing, even driving, whatever you want to do this, ice is very sturdy. And the man has walked right past that, and he's standing out in the middle of the frozen lake, but he's standing there, and he's kind of shaking a little bit. And he says, I, I think this will hold me. I, I think this is good enough. I, I, hope, I hope it's good enough. The right side of that same picture has a similar image, a man standing out in the middle of the lake. But on that side, the, the footsteps that are going right past the sign, that sign says, this, this ice has been tested by the authorities and is unsafe. Do not go out on it. It looks safe, but we know there's a current here, and this is dangerous. You could fall through at any moment. Don't drive on it. Don't even walk on it. This is unsafe. But the man standing out in the middle of the lake is saying, I am confident this ice is going to hold me. I am sure of it. I am, I am confident that this ice will hold me. And the question at the bottom of the picture was, which of these examples is more like saving faith? The man who is confident in bad ice or the man who's a little bit shaky on good ice? And undoubtedly, what saves us is not how strong our faith is. It's what we're standing on. Are you standing on the rock are you standing on the sand? The man in the first picture, the left-hand side of that picture, he may not have had conf total confidence, but he had enough to go out on the lake. He was standing on it. And what saves him is not how strong his faith is, but what he's standing on. Doesn't matter how confident the other guy is, he's standing on bad ice, and he's going to sink at any moment. Let me ask you this about your faith. How strong is it? How confident is it? Are you sure of it? I, I hope it's sure, and I pray it is, and, and God's word is given to us so it'll be sure. But even more important than how sure it is, is where do you put your faith? Is your trust in yourself? Is your trust in the things of the world? Is your trust in another person? Is your trust in a job? Is your trust in this church? If so, none of those things can save you. The only one who can save you is the one who died for you to pay for your sins so that you could have everlasting life. And the way you're saved is you believe in Him.